Today we're going to continue this uh, study uh, on Genesis uh, chapter 3 verses 8 through 24. Uh, one of the things I think it's important to understand is that if, if we really get a good grasp on the first four chapters of Genesis, it, it really sets the tone uh, for our understanding of the entire uh, Bible because those first four chapters give us a biblical worldview uh, that uh, we can wrap our minds around by faith in Jesus Christ and help us to understand uh, where it all began. And so I would, uh, you don't have to stand. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 to 24. All I ask is that you would uh, turn to your Bibles, uh, pew Bibles, uh, phones as, as well. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 to 24. Enmity in the garden. There you will find these words. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, what is it? What is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you among the, all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. The Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, see, the man has become one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden 
to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Amen. Enmity in the garden, enmity in the garden. If I would choose as a subtitle for this passage, I would uh, tag it with the, t with the title, The Struggle is Real. The Struggle is Real. Uh, while uh, sitting at the airport in the terminal, sitting there reading this passage, my wife and I were waiting to fly back to the East Coast, and as I was struggling with this text and beginning to read it over and over again and let it saturate my mind so I could uh, meditate on it, I looked across uh, a few rows down from me, and there was this young lady facing me, and as she was on her cell phone, she had a T-shirt on that... Uh, that arise my attention, and I began to look at her, and, I, and she didn't see me looking at her. And I looked at the shirt, and on her shirt were these words, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. And as I struggled with the text, <laughs> and I saw those words on her T-shirt, and as I began to integrate what I saw on her shirt, and what I was reading in the text came, dawned on me that the struggle is real. The struggle is, it's definitely real. This word struggle, this phrase, the struggle is real, is an urban expression used to emphasize the gravity of a frustrating circumstance or hardship, which is often used ironically uh, online in a similar manner of first world problems. Amen, somebody. <laughs> but as I begin to think about uh, this, this phrase, the struggle is real. And I had this congregation in mind because as I look over this congregation, no doubt uh, some of us find ourselves in some real struggles. Uh, some of us find ourselves in the midst of a job loss, and we're trying to reestablish our career. Some of us find ourselves in a, a marital struggle. We're trying uh, to understand one another in a marital relationship. It's a real struggle for you. Uh, some of us find ourselves in, in struggles. You, 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 you've been diagnosed with cancer, and you have to go through chemotherapy, and, and the struggle is real for you. Some of us are trying to raise our children up in the nurture of knowing uh, the Lord, and you send them out every day to school not understanding that you may be sending them into a war zone. The struggle is real. And all of us, at some point in our lives, we go through some challenges, and we go through some struggles, and I'm here today, and we're all here to identify that we all have struggles, that they are real. The struggle is real. 
Which brings us to our, our text today because as the children of Israel tried to make sense uh, out of their struggle in Egypt, they have uh, made their exodus out of Egypt. And as they made their exit out of Egypt, as they tried to make sense of their struggle in the wilderness, uh, not knowing what they're going to eat next and not knowing what they're going to wear, a 40-year struggle in the wilderness going around in circles. They begin to ask themselves, where did this struggle originate? Who started this mess? Who started this, this struggle? And it was Moses as God superintended upon his mind to write these first four chapters of Genesis, because when we look at Genesis chapter 1, it's nothing but blessing there. Everything that God created, he said it was good. Uh, we get to chapter 2, there's nothing but blessing there. Everything God does is good, and the woman that God created, even Adam said, this is a blessing. But then when we get to chapter 3, the blessings began to take, take on uh, a, different, a different mold. The blessings become a curse. And so as we begin to look at this passage of scripture, scripture, I want us to see it in the context of struggles. There are basically four movements in this passage, in this narrative, in regards to the fall of Adam and Eve. And I would call these four movements struggles in the text because I think even as we live out our lives here in the 21st century we we want to know where did all this mess come from uh, we want to know where did this struggle originate where who started this struggle because as we look at the news and we watch the news and we're bombarded with sound bites we discover that the struggle is real as we read the New York Times and the Seattle Times, we discover that the struggle is real. And as we see what's going on all over our land and country and in this world, the political struggles and struggles all over this land and country and struggle with homelessness, we come to the conclusion that the struggle is real. There is this perpetual tension between humanity and God that seems to find its point right here in this passage. First thing I want us to see here that there is a struggle, there's a struggle between intimacy and enmity. Now this, this struggle, this intimacy was no problem in, in chapter one, it was no problem in chapter two, but intimacy is threatened in chapter three. Pastor Tim did a great job on helping us understand the, the, nature, the nature of humanity. As we look at this struggle between intimacy and enmity, we look at verse, verse 8. It says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. King James says, the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from 
the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. This question, this question that God asks Adam is a question of intimacy. It's a question of fellowship. It's a question of relationship. Uh, perhaps God, regular custom of God walking through the garden, he was enjoying all of his good creation. He was enjoying the, the trees that he had created and the man and the woman that he had created, the animals that he had created. He, he was enjoying his creation. And Adam and Eve were the crowning glory of his creation. And they're nowhere to be found. So God asked the question, where are you? It's kind of like the question that my wife asked me when I don't make it, make it home on time. Where are you? <laughs> Amen, guys. <laughs> it's a question of intimacy. It's a question of relationship. It's a question of a fellowship that God had a habit of walking through the garden during the evening breeze and on this particular day Adam and Eve doesn't show up and so he asked the question where where are you the closeness they once enjoyed with God is now cut off as a result of their disobedience. This closeness that they had with God was no longer in effect. But what I love about God is he is the divine initiator of life. He is the divine initiator of our relationships with one another. And God calls out to them, where are you? Could God be asking us that question today? Where are you? As followers of Jesus Christ, he desires to be in relationship with us. And we might be in the right place, but internally we, we're in the wrong place because God wants us to be in a dynamic relationship with him. So there's this movement, there's this struggle between intimacy and enmity. This word enmity doesn't show up until verse 15, but it's implied through uh, this whole section, this whole narrative, that there is a sense of, of disconnectedness between Adam and God. Enmity is defined as hate. Uh, it, 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 it defi it, it's defined as separation. This word enmity is also used in Luke 23, 12 and Romans 8, 7, which says that the mind of the flesh is enmity against God. James 4, 4 says that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. And so this enmity uh, that we find here that's, that is implied in verse 8 and goes all the way through down to, down to verse 15, uh, this enmity 
uh, implies, brothers and sisters, that we have digressed in our relationship with God. That God, that God was the divine initiator of our re- relationship, but we have a tendency of edging God out. Enmity always comes as a result of disobedience. There's this struggle between intimacy and enmity. And so how do we get back to intimacy with God? I'm glad you asked that question because we're going to talk about that at the end. (laughs) But we are born into the world now as a result of original sin in a in a a tension uh, where we are born into sin because sin and God does not go in hand in hand. And so from our mother's womb, we are conceived in iniquity. And there has to be a way for us to get back into that dynamic relationship with God. But not only is there a struggle between faith and between uh, intimacy and enmity, but there is a struggle between faith and doubt. There's a struggle between faith and doubt You look in this passage of scripture, you also see here uh, that Adam and Eve hid themselves. It says they were afraid because they were naked and they hid themselves. God says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? This is a question of accountability, a question of responsibility. God did not go to Eve first. He didn't go to the serpent first. He went to Adam. The buck stopped with Adam. And Adam, as the text says in verse 12, the man said, the woman you gave me, Lord, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate. Now we know in the prior passage, one through seven, that Adam was right there next to her as she was in a discussion with a serpent. Now, you know things have gone wrong when you're in a conversation with a serpent. (laughs) Amen, somebody. (laughs) Larry Crabb writes a book called The Silence of Adam, that Adam was uh, this this commandment God gave to Adam before Eve was even created. So it was Adam's responsibility to put his foot down and said, no, we're not to do that, Eve. But Adam succumbed to the sin. And so God called Adam on the carpet. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And then Adam moves from shame to blame. First, he was shameful that he was naked, but then as God called him on the carpet, he he begins to say, Lord, it's the woman you gave me, and then he begins to blame God for the woman that he had created. Now, in chapter 2, when God created Eve, Adam says, whoa, man. He thanks God for creating the woman, but now he's blaming God. And isn't that what we do sometimes when we play the blame game? We begin to pass the buck. We begin to blame someone else for our faults in life. We, we live in this culture of 
victimhood, that we're all victims, and that we're all uh, a product of our circumstances and things that have been handed down to us. But when we read the gospel, the gospel flips the script and we become victors in Christ and not victims. So I want to encourage you today, if you have a victim mentality, I want you to flip the script and understand that you are a new creation in Jesus Christ and you are no longer a victim of your circumstances, but you are a victor over your circumstances. There's this movement, there's this movement from faith to doubt, the struggle between faith and doubt, and all of us every day go through this struggle of faith and doubt. We, Adam and Eve, Satan causes Adam and Eve to doubt God's word, and Satan begins to ask the question, did God really say that? And isn't that what we do in our own thought process at times? Did God really say that? And when we read God's word, and if we believe in the authority of Scripture and the inspiration of Scripture, we have to understand that if God said it, then that settles it, and I be believe what God says. And whenever we begin to question what God said, or, or how Satan begins to twist Scripture, that every time we read scripture the, the devil has a different nuance to it and sometimes the devil sits on our shoulders and say well that's not what it really says did God really say that so we, we begin just like Adam we begin to pass the buck and then Eve God calls Eve out. He said, the Lord, God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent tripped me, tricked me, and I ate. So she passes the buck to, to the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you among all the animals, among all the wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. We see here, in this passage that the buck is passed and it stops with the serpent. Now we know from our understanding of scriptures, we read into the New Testament, we understand nowhere in this passage is the word Satan mentioned. But we have come to understand that this serpent or that Satan may have entered into the serpent and therefore engaged in a conversation with Adam and Eve and led them down the slippery slope to sin, and sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve. But then in verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, historically, scholars have looked at this passage, and this has been called what we call the proto-euangelion, proto uh, the birth of the gospel or the promise of the gospel. Uh, this relationship between the woman's seed, which is interpreted as Christ, and, and the seed of the serpent, which is interpreted as Satan, and that Christ will strike Satan's head and 
and Satan will strike Christ's heel. There is a struggle here. And what we find in this text is that the struggle is real in every level of this passage. But this here is the promise of the gospel that God promises to make things right, to restore things, to reconcile things back unto himself. But you have to understand that when we look at this passage of scriptures that when Adam and Eve sin, what some scholars call the noetic effects of sin is that their thinking was distorted. Even though they were created in the image of God, their image of God, the image bearers of God, that they, their thinking was distorted. And so Adam, his relationship with himself was not what it should be as a result of the fall. He didn't understand himself anymore. But not only did Adam not understand himself, he didn't understand God anymore. Adam was disconnected from God. His relationship with God was not what it should be. But not only did Adam not understand himself and not understand God, he didn't understand Eve anymore, his wife anymore. That his relationship with his wife would be a struggle because he didn't understand it anymore. One writer put it this way, the reason men don't understand women is because we were asleep when God created them. <laughs> Amen, somebody. That just went over somebody's head. <laughs> but this is a, a, a real struggle. And so as he begins to, God begins to pronounce judgment on them. It says, to the woman, he said, I would greatly increase your pains in childbearing and pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The struggle will be real for Eve now. Perhaps before the fall, childbearing would not involve pain. But now, as a result of the fall, the struggle will be real. And so, he pronounces judgment on, on Eve, but not only that, he says, there will be a struggle between man and woman. There will be a struggle with, in sexism. There will be a struggle with, uh, between a man and a woman. And this struggle says here, he, he says here in this verse, that your, yet your desire shall be for your husband. And really the Im implication here is that there will be a struggle there and he shall rule over you. Prior to the fall, this would not be the case, but because sin has entered into humanity, there will be a struggle in marital relationships. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you in toil, you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. And here, what God is saying to Adam now, prior to the fall, Adam could plant something and not have to worry about it growing. And now he's got to really do some hard work. Everything, the ground is cursed as a result of Adam and Eve's sin. And so no longer can Adam and Eve walk over to the bear and pet the bear. <laughs> no longer could Adam and Eve go over to the lion and, and pet the lion. 
Uh, in a real sense, it, real sense, it had become a Jurassic world. Amen, somebody. He says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So the struggle between intimacy and enmity, the struggle between faith and doubt, this struggle also between being spiritual and calm. Being spiritual and calm. In other words, as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, they were spiritually disconnected from God. Adam and Eve and God were on the same wavelength with one another prior to their fallenness, that they were connected to one another. But now as a result of sin, there is a real struggle to be spiritual. And this carnality sneaks into the system. And what I mean by that is when sin entered into Adam and Eve, one writer put it like this, it's like dropping a, 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 just a, a drop of black dye into a glass of water and it permeates the whole glass of water. That sin enters into our system and it permeates every aspect of our lives that our emotions are distorted, that our minds are distorted, everything about us becomes distorted as a result of sin. And Adam and Eve had become spiritually disconnected from God, and so there will be this struggle between being spiritual and carnal, and such is the case of us in the 21st century, that there is a, there is a struggle between being spiritual and being carnal. There's a struggle between faith and doubt. There is a, a struggle between intimacy and enmity. But this text gives us a way out as well. There's some good news in this text. And that's in verse 21. It says, And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them. He clothed them. Now, in verse 7, we discover that when Adam and Eve sinned and they discovered that they were naked, it says that they took some fig leaves and, and sewed them together to cover themselves. These fig leaves, these fig leaves are symbolic of humanity's attempt to insufficiently clothe ourselves. These fig leaves uh, represent brothers and sisters our inadequacy, clothe ourselves with the temporary things of this world, cover ourselves with the fig leaves of wealth, only to discover that our wealth can't wake us up in the morning. Almighty dollar is incapable of keeping a man in his right mind. We try to cover ourselves up with the fig leaves of politics. Am I a Democrat? Am I a Republican? Am I independent? Only to discover that a political system at best is man-made and flawed. We try to cover ourselves with education. And don't get me wrong, I believe education is important. But education is insufficient 
to cover ourselves. And so God, and this is where grace is in this text. This is where grace shows up. God covers Adam and Eve with the garments, the cover, the skin of an animal that he had to kill. And this is messianic overtone of this passage saying that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin that God has to kill something to cover us. And so God covers Adam and Eve. He moves from judgment to grace. We see a pronouncement of judgment, but then in verse 21, God says, I'm still going to cover you in my grace. God's grace is sufficient. See, there is grace in this struggle. The covering of grace is the only thing that is sufficient. When, when Paul says, Lord, I, I have this thorn in the flesh and I, and I pray three times that you remove it, God says, my grace is sufficient. He covers Paul in his grace. This text tells us that God's grace is real. And not only is God's grace real, but the gospel is real. Reconciliation is real because Jesus is real. And when we begin to really understand God's grace, that God's grace is designed to cover us through Jesus Christ. So never seek insufficient means to cover yourself, but allow the grace of God to cover you. Submit to his grace, submit to his lordship and allow his grace to cover you. I think the songwriter said it best when he said, yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you or some others to win. Fight manfully onward, dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus and he'll carry you through. Just ask the Savior to help you, to comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you, and he will carry you through. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you that one day you sent your son Jesus to enter into our struggle. Struggle with temptation, the struggle with sin, and that Jesus became sin for us on the cross that we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, we thank you that there's grace in the midst of our struggles. There's grace in the midst of our struggles, dear God. And so, Lord God, we submit to your lordship, for you say that you give grace to the humble and you resist the proud. And so, Lord God, we thank you for Jesus, for he is, he alone is sufficient. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.